great time of worship. This is what heaven's going to be like. Worshiping with the family of God. So if you don't like it, you're not going to enjoy heaven too much. Because this is what we'll spend eternity doing. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. We've got the text that is going to be up here on the screen. It's printed in the message outline in your program. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles out in the lobby. You just go up to the guest area and they will give you a Bible. We'd love to give you one if you don't have one. We're talking about the Lord's Prayer. We began this message series last week called Thy Kingdom Come. And we're walking phrase by phrase through the Lord's Prayer. And, you know, it's been kind of funny seeing, as I was studying this week, I was, I was looking up different ways the Lord's Prayer has been butchered. And I've, I saw on YouTube videos of football players who had messed it up while they were actually leading a team in the Lord's Prayer. But then, you know, I saw kids that messed it up. And you guys heard kids kind of mess up the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who does art in heaven, herald be thy name, you know. Uh, Forgive us our trash baskets as we forgive those who put trash in our baskets. And then here's one I like. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from email. (laughs) I think that's a pretty good prayer right there. Well, I want to show you a video of a kid who got it right. And this is something from YouTube, and I hope that you enjoy this. cute. Well, we can mess up the Lord's Prayer ourselves when we don't understand the meaning of it. And so often when we look at the Lord's Prayer, as I mentioned last week, we kind of look at it as a formula of some kind, some kind of chant, some kind of 
magic abracadabra words that we say that might lead to something that we really want to achieve. Uh, I always wonder, you know, you have football teams that pray the Lord's Prayer on both sides, and who's God listening to, you know? (laughs) Obviously, it wasn't the Aggies yesterday, but... So, when we approach the Lord's Prayer like that, we focus on the how to pray, but miss the meaning behind it. And that's really what we need to get out of this whole message series. Jesus was not only teaching us how to pray, but he was also teaching us some things about God. He was teaching us some things about principles of prayer and the meaning behind it. Because the truth is, is sometimes the way that we use things undermines the very purpose for which those things are intended. Let me give you an example. Today in our modern world, we have microwave ovens, we have cell phones, we have drive through restaurants, we have airplanes, we have automobiles, all of which are intended to give us more time to do the things that are more important. And do we use those things in that way? No. In fact, the use of those things, the way that we've used them, have undermined our ability to actually use them to achieve things that are more important. And so instead of getting a certain amount of things done in a certain day, a certain time frame, we actually squeeze more into that time frame because we have these modern inventions. It's a great example of focusing on form but not function. And that's the way that we can approach the Lord's Prayer. And so this is what we want to do today. We want to look at the meaning behind the words that Jesus gave in the Lord's Prayer. Focus not only on the words, but on the meaning and the experience behind it. So let's look in Matthew chapter 6. Last week, we talked about misconceptions of God. And Jesus begins this prayer by saying, Our Father in heaven, our Father in heaven. And we unpacked what that meant. And so the point here is that once we understand, once we understand to whom we pray, then we can understand the true meaning of prayer. So Jesus, first and foremost, wanted to make sure that we understood the person to whom we are praying. Because then we can pray right prayers. And we're going to follow that theme today with the phrase, hallowed be thy name. So Jesus said, listen, you have a father in heaven and he is caring And he is close, and he is compassionate, and he is loving, and he wants to meet your needs. He guides you, he wants to meet your needs. But there's another part of it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This gives us the proper balance. This gives us the proper perspective. It helps us from the tendency to kind of rush into God's presence and take who he is for granted. And so Jesus says, not only our Father in heaven, but he also says, hallowed be thy name. Let's read it together, beginning in verse 9 of chapter 6. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So, after you've acknowledged that God is this loving, tender-hearted Abba Father, you must then acknowledge the essence and character of who that Father is with this phrase, hallowed be your name. Here's the point. This is why Jesus starts the prayer this way. You've got to get this. 
Otherwise, you hear the words but miss the meaning. Jesus started the prayer this way because everything in prayer, everything in our prayers, not just this prayer, but all of our prayers, everything in prayer revolves around God and His character and how God is to be glorified. Jesus was teaching that prayer, in essence, reflects the character and the heart of God. This is the heart of true worship. This is what it means to go to God in authentic ways through this medium of prayer. And so when we say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, it's not a religious routine. It's not, it's not like saying, Long live the king. <laughs> it's, not, it's not like that. It's a recognition in my heart. This is what Jesus was trying to teach. It's not the words, it's the meaning behind the words. It's when you kneel in prayer and you say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's a recognition of the glory of God. It's a recognition of the holiness of God. It's a recognition of the perfection of God. It's a recognition of the awe that we have that the God of the universe would listen to me. And so it's a, an act of reverence. It's an act of humility. It defies the whole idea of kind of rushing into prayer with my shopping list to get what I want. It defies the whole idea of running to God in a crisis and a challenge. Now, he's the spare tire that we pull out of the trunk. He's the 911 operator that we talked about last week. It defies that whole thing to stop and be still, as the psalmist said. Be still and know that he is God. And I'm telling you, when you can get that right, when you can understand the loving, tender-hearted goodness of God as a Father in heaven, and then you can say and reflect upon this idea, hallowed be thy name, then you come into prayer with right thinking. And when you approach prayer and you approach God with right thinking, guess what? You pray right prayers. And those are the prayers that God answers. So, what does this mean? Hallowed be thy name. Let's, let's unpack that today, okay? Let's spend some time talking about it. The word, first of all, hallowed. Now, most of us in today's world, it's kind of amazing that on today and then tomorrow we have Halloween. Most people think of Halloween, and it's really very sad that this word has been used in this sense. They've taken a very uh, awesome word and turned it into meaning something else. So some of you are familiar with this. This word has really disappeared throughout the English language and in its use as it was centuries ago used to be in academia, in certain places uh, where, where education was revered. They would say the hallowed halls of education. Some of you have seen medieval paintings of uh, the halos. or the halo. Some of you have halos. I can see them on you right now. You, have, you walk around with a halo. Hallowed halo is the ideal here. So what does it mean? Well, it comes from the Greek word hagiadzo, which simply means holy. Sacred, separate, set apart. That's the idea. Now, we understand some of this because we understand that, you know, in 
the Ten Commandments, one of those big Ten Commandments, Moses, you know, Charlton Heston that gave, you know, those Ten Commandments, one of those is to what? Honor the Sabbath day, keep it holy. So the whole ideal here was that six days you would work, on the seventh day you would lay on the couch and watch football. <laughs> on the seventh day you would rest. That's the ideal here. So what? The seventh day you were to treat differently. The seventh day was to be set apart. The seventh day was to be holy. The seventh day was to be sacred. The seventh day was precious. That's the meaning of hallowed. It is something sacred and precious. And again... The Lord gives us this to protect us, I think, from this tendency to get too familiar with our Father in heaven and to take him for granted. Treating him as a pal, as a buddy. The man upstairs, by the way, please don't use that term. That's, that's no way to refer to the God of heaven and earth. I, don't know, I know what you mean, but there is a side of God that we miss in today's world, and that is our reverence for him and his holiness and his justice and his perfection. And so, yes, he is a loving, caring, compassionate father. He is close, he is intimate, but he is also holy and transcendent. He is above and beyond us. And that should create in us a sense of awe and wonder that this God who is the creator of the universe of heaven and earth of the stars the galaxies the God who created all that is the God who would listen to me that's an amazing reality and Jesus was saying don't take that for granted our father in heaven hallowed be thy name what powerful powerful words so, he says, hallowed be thy name. Thy name. What does the name of God mean? Well, it simply means this, all that he is. All that he is. That's his name. The entire character of the person. Now, again, we get an idea of this in today's world. We still kind of feel that today. If someone speaks poorly about you and negatively about you and gossips about you, you go to them and say, hey, you've ruined my name to other people. Um, when, when you have your name ruined, it's very hard to repair that back. And so the ideal here is that all that God is is associated with his name. Psalm 9, verse 10 says this, those who know your name put their trust in you. The psalmist was not saying those who know your name in Greek or Hebrew or English. Not those who know what your name is. The psalmist was saying those who know who you are are those who put their trust in you. I mean, if you come to know who God really is, you'll understand that he is absolutely trustworthy. Those who know your name put, your trust, put their trust in you. So, so what does all this mean? Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. How do we apply that? Well, when we understand it, it will change our prayers. And it will do so in three ways. First of all, it will mean this. That prayer begins 
by recognizing who God is. That's the way we should start every prayer. Recognizing who God is. You see, when you cherish the one to whom you're praying, then you pray right prayers. Where you're thankful for and praising the giver, not just selfishly wanting the gift. When you understand the creator, not just wanting the creation. That's the time when your, chair, your, your prayers will take on a whole new meaning. I'm telling you, there was a time in my life when my prayers really changed. Because there was time and time again where I would go to God and very selfishly and telling Him what I want. And my mindset about prayer is that, well, prayer is about changing God's mind. It's about trying to pry something out of His hand. It's convincing Him that this is what I really need. This is real, what I want. And somehow convincing him to give it to me. And over time, guess what? Those prayers just became lifeless. Some of you are struggling in your prayer life. Because your prayers are all about you. They're all about what you want. And so it's a misconception about what prayer really is. See, prayer should be God-centered. God-focused, not Mike-centered. Not Mike-focused. God-conscious prayers is what Jesus was teaching so prayer begins by recognizing who God is secondly understanding also that prayer is not for us now that's going to be a revelation to some of you prayer is not for us it is primarily for God it's not to get what we want listen to this You've got to get this, this one thing. Prayer is for God to display His glory by meeting your needs. Big, big difference. For God to be glorified. For His name to be honored. For us to hallow His name by the prayers that we pray. And say, God, more than anything else, I want you to be glorified. More than anything else, I want thy kingdom to come, not my will to be done, but your will to be done. And that will revolutionize your prayers. Understanding that prayer is about him to display his glory by meeting my needs. And then finally, that prayer is this incredible privilege of communing and relating with the amazing God of heaven. The unfathomable privilege of entering into the presence, the creator of the universe. What an amazing truth that is. And so my prayers are this experience where I'm constantly aware that I'm approaching the God of the universe, the God who is omniscient, who knows everything, the God who is omnipotent, who is all-powerful, the God who is all-present, omnipresent. He is here. He is everywhere. And that's the God that I'm talking to. And so, I have big prayers. 
Our church is praying big prayers right now. We're praying for this six acres of land. We're praying for this playground. We're praying for God to grow our faith, which is really more important than anything else. We're praying big prayers right now. We have a big God. He is a big God who can do anything. So the biggest challenge that you face in your life, the biggest need that you have, the, the highest improbability that you face for coming true, that is nothing to the God of the universe. And so we approach him with confidence that he loves, that he hears, and that he can meet each and every need. This amazing privilege that we have, that I can approach this God. And so when you get that right, when you understand that prayer is uh, about recognizing who God is, that prayer is not for us, it's primarily for him. When you understand that prayer is this amazing privilege of communing with the God of the universe, that will change your prayers. And you'll see your prayers come to life. I've had people who've said, you know, I feel like my prayers are just hitting the ceiling. Well, how in the world can you sit in the presence of the God of the universe and not be awakened to the reality that you're talking to the God of heaven and earth? That will change your prayers. John Chrysostom, he was an early church father, said this. He said, a king vested in glory is far less illustrious than a kneeling, ennobled saint who is adorned by communion with his God. Isn't that amazing? When we bow our heads, we go to God. Father in heaven, holy, hallowed is your name. You say that, but you mean it. Your prayers will take on a whole new meaning. Let's grow up with respect to our prayers. You know, in Luke, Luke records the same experience a few days later. So Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer and the Sermon on the Mount there in Matthew chapter 6. And I guess the disciples missed it. They seem to miss a lot of things. They come back to Jesus a few days later and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And Luke records something very similar to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. And says the same thing. This is then how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Stop and listen to those words. Read those this week. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. That's a prayer. That's a prayer.
Let's stand up. We're going to close our service in prayer today. For the next several weeks, we're going to end our service, a congregational prayer. Normally, we have our offering time and uh, we sing a song, but I want us to close in prayer. And I've asked Linda Patillo to come. This dear lady is going to lead us in prayer. We're praying for the six acres, not for us, for, for generations to come and for the Lord's glory. We're, we're praying that God would provide in many other ways in our church, and we're just focusing on him and his goodness and his glory. So let's bow our heads and pray together. Thanks, Linda.